Welcome to the first official episode of Our Kind of Pod, a Husky football-themed episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. Fall camp opens up for the Huskies today, and the illustrious Michael Stanton and I are here to get you ready for Husky football this season and all the way through the 2018-19 campaign. Stanton resumed his duties as my guest on this segment, and he and I are back with a whole new structure heading into this season that I think you all really like. Actually, and he and I spoke about some of the big storylines heading into this season and tackled the significance of the opening tilt with Auburn just one month away on September 1st. Enjoy it. All right, well, I'm here with uh, with the one, the the only Michael Stanton, the only guy that I think I've really ever been able to, to match uh, my Husky football enthusiasm with. Um, he and I started this haphazardly and said, douche, we... Should we do a podcast right before the Arizona State game last year, uh, which you know promptly lost, and uh, we could have easily folded in at that point, but we kept it going throughout the season. So, Stanton, we're back. We're uh, we're 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 ready. We got we have actual plans for how this is going to look this year. Yeah, there's some format to it, some structure. It's uh, it's like it's like we had a redshirt season, and now this is our time to shine. We're coming out uh, first full varsity year for us. We were uh, we were an interesting, intriguing practice squad player last year. A guy to, to keep your eyes on. It was like a Cody Brun situation where we were out of the game for half the season, and then all of a sudden, Tyrone burned our red shirt in Game Seven. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what it was. Uh, keep Cody Bruns's name in there because I have an idea for him later. Um, but I feel like our our introduction of structure this year is akin to. The reports, I remember when Sark first got the job and everyone's like, you know, talking about his practices, they're like, they're running to drills. This is amazing compared to what it was like from, from Willingham, where apparently there was there was no running whatsoever. Yeah, he was usually golfing, you know, beforehand, too. Uh, we'll, we'll get to Tyrone. We'll get to, to maybe Sark's name will get mentioned, although it seems like such a different era when, when he was the coach. Um First things first, we gotta we gotta find out a name for this podcast um, because obviously this is the the Boyd Meets World show, um, but this will be a specific segment. So keep that in mind, both listeners and Stanton. So figure out a uh, figure out a name. I mean, Husky Monks okay. is taken, um, unless we just want to take it from them and then say that that we're using that and they have to they have to move on. Yeah, I'm sure that'll go smoothly. D- let's fight Dick Baird over over. <laughs> over Twitter. I like I like our odds. <laughs> yeah. Um so we need a name. We also need a sponsor and we're 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 in charge of that one. Um well, last, we already have one. We have one in the book over overstock uh at home with the o. at home with the o. Um the the like Amazon before Amazon but now doing much worse than Amazon overstock former former uh Pac-12 or Pac-10 conference sponsor. <laughs> Um, currently, have no idea what they're doing, but they are—they are, they are one of our space of Amazon. Yeah, honestly, it's bloomed too early. Yeah, maybe more like the Napster. I think they're always a little, yeah. a little shady. Uh, Great. <laughs> their their software was just as likely to give uh, your computer a virus as Napster was. I just remember their 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 shitty uh, first down line that just <laughs> couldn't couldn't handle more than like two players standing well, over it. It also yeah, it also covered about basically all the space from the hash mark to the sideline with overstock ads so you <laughs> i'm surprised though that it, another company hasn't swooped in to, to sponsor a first down line it's it's right well, there all the time kiosera was a major sponsor back in the day on fsn as well so uh i miss fsn 
There, I don't. <laughs> there was something spectacular <laughs> about FSN. Um, it was ours. That's the beauty of it. Exactly. Right. Root is a national conglomerate, but FSN was yeah. our, our little shitbag up, up, <laughs> up right by my house, actually, in Eastgate. Um, anyways, <laughs> I got... About your house. Uh, well, uh, don't worry about it. Um, one of the sponsorship opportunities I think we have is with Denny's. Um, I forgot to, to tell you that oh. while I was in Vegas, I, I enjoyed a nice... 1.30 p.m. breakfast with uh, with Mr. Jordan Coots and Mr. Michael Roberts that was absolutely exquisite. And did you go off the all-you-can-eat menu? Well... Do they even have that anymore? They don't have the all-you-can-eat menu, but they have this, like, 2468 menu, which, mm-hmm. you know, yep. the, the clientele of Denny's really likes those nice, easy numbers. Um, and we didn't even see this menu, but it, it was... that's I mean, that's where the, the all-you-can-eat pancakes are stashed. That's where all the... the, the, the Good bits are buried is in that part of the menu. Some real value plays in the two, four, six, eight. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it was it was it was great. The food, you know, it hit exactly what we needed, and uh, in typical Denny's fashion, they forgot to bring out Roberts's uh, French toast until like forty five minutes into the meal. Nice. Yeah, uh, the waitress said that she was too busy making milkshakes, which is a, a real thing. A real thing. Had to had to had to give her that. Um, so we got Denny's. You and I are both big, big fans, big patron of Denny's. Uh, any other, any other thoughts for a potential sponsor other than air conditioning, as we're both finding out right now? Uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, maybe the Woodland Park Zoo. We, we obviously <laughs> share a very mm. common interest in the zoo. Uh, trading pictures on Instagram. Yes. Frequently, uh, in fact, like frequently, as in like at least three times a year, which is probably more than most people there so whenever they have like the animals making bizarre faces it's we always like tag each other in the comments that Woodland Park Zoo is probably stoked that they're getting such engagement on their page but little do they know it's much more nefarious than that (laughs) um so yeah I like I like the WPZ as an option we could we could we could make a pitch I I like it I like it too you know um on like late night TV shows, they have you know the sex segments with when they bring animals on, and there's like you know a uh, raccoon crawling over Jimmy Fallon type thing. Yeah, we could do like the audio version of those. So you just you just hear like my 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 panicked screaming as some some creature that you can't tell what it is 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 uh, is on my neck. Well, you have a cat, so we we. That's true. Start yeah, that, that'll be the the demo tape I send them. Is is like this is nice. this is the segment. Imagine what I can do with this true snow leopard around my neck. Um, and we'll come back to cats later on. Yes, yes, well. we, sh- we sure will. Um, all right, let's let's talk about what we're supposed to talk about. Um, Fine. We are. Yeah, I know. We are about a little over a week away from the start of fall camp on August third, uh, and then just. I don't know what six weeks away from five weeks away from the September first Labor Day weekend Auburn game, uh, which will be quite a doozy down in Atlanta. Uh, big season for the Huskies, probably the most talent that we've seen on a team in God <laughs> since '01, since like that that type of team heading into a season. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. A lot of unproven talent, to be fair, though. Yes, it's, the, it's not just going to be handed to us. We got to actually show up and. And produce so. Yeah, since the last time we talked, I think uh, Miles Gaskin had decided to come back. Um, I don't think that that was that was decided, and I think that you and I both had kind of expected that to be uh, fait accompli that he goes pro, given everything that we know about you know how short NFL careers are and how much money was uh, potentially up for grabs there. But Gaskin decided to come back. 
you heard his quote, right, of, of why he, he, he came back? Uh, you know, at the time I might have, but it's been so long and I'm so disconnected from Husky football over the past few months. Go, as, go ahead. As you should be. Is the, the, the time where you should. Um, is His quote was, I just couldn't leave my bros. And that's <laughs> that's a sentiment that, that you and I have, have both felt. Um, oh, yeah. Especially at the rolling log at a certain hour of, of the mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Couldn't leave the bros. So uh, that is the, the mentality that governed Gaskin coming back. Let's hope it is worth his time. Uh, we're going to start this with our first segment, which we will start every podcast with, which is our four down segment. You and I will each take two topics of our choosing uh, to kind of delve into a subject that is pertinent to this particular week. Um, it'll probably be a good way for us to wrap up uh, the game that was and then kind of some more thematic stuff for the season. Um, we don't have a game to talk about. We'll probably do some more Auburn-specific preview stuff as we get closer to that date. But we have four downs to talk about anything we want as it pertains to this particular Husky football season. And first down is yours. You've earned that much. Perfect. Well, for first down, I was wanting to bring up uh, our new defensive coordinator, which isn't really a new face at all, but a new position for him, and that is Jimmy Lake. A couple months ago, it came out that Jimmy Lake signed a three-year extension with the Huskies, making him the highest-paid assistant in UW football history, $1.1 million per year over three years. Um, the the, the kind of odd part about this is Pete Kwiatkowski, who's still obviously a coach for the Huskies, was the defensive coordinator previously. So he has also signed an extension, Kwiatkowski, um, but he is now the co-defensive coordinator, and Jimmy Lank is the defensive coordinator, where Lake will be actually calling the plays this year. So um, I don't know necessarily from a play-calling standpoint if this is like a positive negative i don't think it i think it's it doesn't really matter but i think what really matters here is the fact that a we were able to lock up jimmy lake for at least three more years hopefully uh which he's you know one probably one of the hottest assistants in the country um for potential head coaching uh opportunities and b we have a coaching staff where someone like pete kwiatkowski is willing to basically take a demotion for the betterment of the program. So I think that speaks volumes to just where this, where the program is currently and the type of staff that we have in place. Um, I should mention that there's a $2.2 million buyout clause on Jimmy Lake's new contract. So that makes it much more difficult for a team to hire him away. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's pretty exciting to know that Blake will be here for another year. He's obviously a massive, massive mm-hmm. piece in the recruiting uh, for the Huskies, uh, you can see the defensive secondary has been phenomenal in the past few years, and you know there's a laundry list of names that have gone to the NFL from that from that position group. So overall, just one of the best pieces of news other than Gaskin this offseason. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Lake's been a guy even before the the Kevin King and Sidney Jones true breakthrough, where you could tell that I mean he was coaching that unit up uh, to a certain level that that made you feel comfortable that he was. He was going to be a stud someday, and he has certainly delivered on that. The way you were talking, though, about what you mentioned with the buyout makes me think how clever it is, given that at some point Jimmy Lake is going to get an offer he can't refuse, especially if this defense um, is on par with where it was last year um, or you know near the top of the nation in a lot of big metrics. If Jimmy Lake gets that offer, 
um, and you're paying him all this money as kind of a co-defensive coordinator, having that buyout clause that you know will almost certainly not be paying themselves, it will be someone else that pays that, um, is a good way to kind of justify this this amount given to him, given that you know you know that you'll get 2.2 back from someone if they take him off that contract, which could very easily happen this next year. Yeah, and um, just to give you some context, that that extension makes him the second highest paid assistant in the conference, only behind, do you, know, the, do you or, want to guess this? The Oregon DC? Yeah, Jim Levitt, who came yeah. over from Colorado. Um, he's earning $1.7 million. So um, that just goes to show you the the level that the the Huskies regard Lake at as an assistant and, you know, just overall play caller. Right. If, I mean, the, Recruiter, et cetera. If Levitt was the co-defensive coordinator, there's no way he's making that, that same amount of dollars that he is. Um, Great point. Yeah. So um, this is a lot of, of financial stuff, but I think it's important to know that this is a program before Jake Browning started, I think it was before his season or maybe after his freshman season, um, that was operating in a deficit with UW football and UW basketball um, as the main ways to turn that around. And clearly, since jo- Jen Cohen has taken the job, she uh, has this humming financially to the point where uh, they can they can do these types of things and keep talent um, where, where we want to keep it. So um, some interesting notes there, and I, and I didn't expect to get into the, the nitty-gritties of the balance sheet, but I think... Um, I think it's important to know uh, kind of the, the inner workings of, of the, the business side of this. Um, in your, they just don't have enough money to pay the players uh, news of the week. I just found out that five, um, five strength coaches across the country make more than $500,000 per year. Is one of them, um, what's his name from USC? <laughs> oh, I'm blanking on it. Our favorite. Oh, uh, Ivan, Ivan, Ivan Lewis. No, Ivan Lewis yeah. is not one of them. I, I don't uh, even know if Ivan's still there, but a lot of them look like Ivan Lewis. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of, of the three of five of the or three of the five were like, they look like Nick Holt. Like it was, it was just that same template of dude, the, the, you know, huge traps, bald, um, veins popping out of their head guy. Uh, was, so patient, they watched movies on fast forward stuff like that <laughs> yeah they, they haven't watched an entire movie since like die hard and they love it's die actually it's actually a, john gruden actually does that he, he just can't sit that's still what, that's what i'm bringing yeah i remember his wife saying that years ago that they watch movies on fast forward the well, football guy in other words he'll watch uh he'll watch spider-man and curious george for the spider 2 y banana um effect <laughs> but that's that's about it standing reference thank you thank you uh moving on to second down unless you have anything left left there on the first down any extra yards you want to pick up that's all it was a solid gain for sure um i'll move on to the pass rush as as kind of the the theme we want to talk about here um uw football had 38 sacks last year you lose six and a half of those from the season uh to the draft last year by 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 way of vita vea azim victor um and Keyshawn bieria so you have you know 31 and a half of those 38 sacks left on the table last for from last year, which is definitely a good number in terms of retention when you're trying to, to duplicate um, that number. However, you know 83 percent or so of those sacks. However, I think this was a theme if you listen to us last year as you talk about you know when we or when the Huskies lost, it was because I feel like they couldn't get to the quarterback. They couldn't end drives um, with sacks. They couldn't put teams in third in super long situations. 
Um, and so the, the recipe to beat UW was to get into these third and fives, third and sixes, and then beat them with possession receivers as Stanford, Arizona State, and Penn State were all able to do. Uh, 1.3 sacks per game in losses last year, so a decent but not great clip, uh, compared to 2.9 in non-Montana wins last year. So you take Montana where okay. I think they had six sacks. Um, so, I mean, that, that number gets cut in half when, when Huskies were not at their best last season. Um, and certainly, I mean, Arizona State went 3-for-3 three three on fourth down against us last year. Stanford 10-of-18 on third. Penn State 13-of-17 on third. So that third down was kind of the the uh, the opportunity or the the real Achilles heel for for UW football last year, especially on defense. Um, when it was humming, it was great. When it wasn't, um, you know that's when you ran into problems. And so I think the the, the sacks and the pass rush, all of these things are connected. So my question to you, uh, given that we know pass rush is so important to ending drives. Who is that pass rush going to come from? I mean, if we're if we're losing Vita Vea and all the guys I just mentioned, um, you know, can we expect an uptick from some of the guys that are still left on the roster? I think I should begin by saying you can really tell this is the first uh, the first episode of the season because I didn't even know or I couldn't even remember what your sec what your down was here. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm scrambling a bit. But to answer your question, you obviously bring back. Greg Gaines, which was a bit surprising. We thought he would probably go to the NFL. Um, you also have a, some experienced linemen in Jalen Johnson, Levi Onwuzurike. Um, Phenomenal Shane, pronunciation. That's that's midseason form right there. Thank you, thank you. Is Shane Bowman still around? I don't know if he really plays that often. Both the Bowmans. Uh, Shane is the is the less productive, obviously. Yeah. Okay. That. Okay. Well, anyways. It, but but you also have a couple of new guys coming in, true freshmen, Sam Taimani from Salt Lake City, as well as uh, Tuli Latuli Gasanoa from De La Salle, the powerhouse down in uh, Concord, California. You are just he was one of the. It. Thank you, thank you. He was one of the biggest uh, signings of this most recent recruiting class. So um, there's some big big people that you can uh, throw in there to help spell. Um, those starters and Gaines, Johnson, Anuzarike, etc. So, uh, like you said, those were that was a glaring issue in in our losses last year, just not being able to get into the backfield and disrupt things. Um, given how great the back end of the defense is and our defensive secondary, and how talented I think the linebacking core is, um, if this front, you know, three, four, whatever it may be in the defensive line can put it together, uh, I think this defense could be just a force to be reckoned reckoned with in the Pac-12, mm. for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think about kind of where the strength of this team is, and any good defensive backfield needs pressure in order to put up bad throws. I mean, at a certain point, you know, college offenses are too good and, and rules are dictated to in, in favor of the offense that the offense is going to win a lot of times. Um, and so you saw last year that, you know, your, your coverage can be as good as it is, but if you can't, if you can't wrap up on, the, on third down, extend plays you got big receivers that are just going to beat you as the teams we just mentioned did against UW last year um so yeah it would be great to see some pass rush to kind of put up some ducks so that guys like Byron Murphy and and uh Jordan Miller and, and guys in the back end that are really capable playmakers uh can get to some bad throws because I think turnovers are often a product of good pass rush um and certainly not the other way around so um, we will see about that. I mean, Ryan Bowman last year came on as a freshman from being a walk-on to all of a sudden he has five and a half sacks. 
despite playing just a quarter of the snaps, I mean, that's that's certainly production that, that you'd want to, to see at least uh, mirrored this year, if not taking a big step forward. Um, Tevis Bartlett came in with four sacks. He's, he was kind of the, the disruptor. He was in the backfield a lot of plays, whether it was tackles for loss or sacks. So hopefully we'll get something um, from that next level of guys from that linebacker spot because, I you know, you just don't have, um, you know, Greg Gaines has been there for three years. He's not... He's not a true pass rusher. He's a disruptor. So if that if that true sack number is going to come, I feel like it's going to come from outside of the defensive line, and that's that's the whole structure of a three four defense. Um, my question though was was I mean this is something that, that there's no way for for either of us to know, but I'm curious to see if they blitz more, given that Kwiatkowski's big strategy um, was to not blitz and and to create pressure with just three guys and then to cover mm-hmm. on the back end. Um, given that Lake is now switching over, is it possible that they get a little more exotic with, with their looks and start bringing a little bit more pressure uh, on purpose? And, you know, given that you have such a strong defensive backfield, can you get away with some of those blitzes? So that'll be interesting to see. And, and I, I kind of hope they do. I mean, I, I honestly have no idea what difference we'll see between Lake and Kwiatkowski, but um, just kind of, you know, some more exotic blitzing schemes I would definitely welcome, especially later in the games if we're not finding that success with mm-hmm. just our front three or four, which I feel like we were a little bit stubborn at times where we totally. continued to rush three or four when we weren't getting in anywhere near the quarterback. So uh, hopefully they'll make those adjustments sooner than they did last season in some games. I forget what the uh, the order of operations was for games last year. I remember against California, that's right, the California, they, they we won 38-7, to um, and had just, just dominated them eight sacks in that game, mostly not by blitzing. And then you go and you play Arizona State, and it's just not working like that. Uh, I remember late in that game, they had they had Taylor Rapp come up um, on kind of a, just a perfectly timed safety blitz, um, and he nailed it. And it was a, it was a, a, a play that was crucial in that game to keep it close um, and to kind of stunt Arizona State on offense. Uh, I, I wonder if we'll see a little bit more of that, um, just as kind of a regular part of the programming there. Yeah, although I don't think you, I just don't think you should have to blitz your safety. I know there's some, you know, there's some point to bringing the safety out every now and then, but honestly, your front seven should be able to produce in that category, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I just think that they have a lot of license to do things like that, given the the quality of player that you have on the back end. Um, True. Where if if you are bringing a guy up. Um, at any level, whether it's from the, the linebacker level or from the safety level, that you have two all pack 12 safeties at the back end and potentially another, another you know, one to, to three all pack 12 corners on this team. So it's, um, it's something that they certainly have the ability to do, but it's, it's, it would be uncharacteristic of them to, to all of a sudden turn it on from a blitzing standpoint, but we shall see. Sure. All right. Um, let's move on to, to third down. This will be an interesting one. Um, you are going to talk about the uh, the pass catchers. Yeah, the receiving group. Basically, who is the guy? Because you no longer have Dante Pettis. Dante Pettis counted for the vast majority of the receiving yards last year, hauling in 60, 63 catches for 761 yards and seven touchdowns. Um, the next best receiver on the team was Hunter Bryant with 331 yards and one touchdown and he only played most likely not most likely not see Hunter this season unfortunately is that is that true I thought he was well yeah he uh he had posted earlier this summer that he like it was on a snapchat story or something like that of like you know his foot in a boot saying 
you know, worst part is I can't play basketball, and it sounds like he's he's uh, he's had surgery and and won't be probably won't be playing really? for another ACL injury. Really, because he played in obviously the Fiesta Bowl. So mm-hmm. something happened since then. Yeah, it had or, to have. And, they... and it's okay. it sounds like from the Fiesta Bowl, he was he was kind of at you know just barely able to play in more of a decoy yeah. um, level. Yeah. So it doesn't. It might have just not gotten any better from that or another setback. So uh, yeah, Hunter Bryant was tantalizing last year, but um, doubtful to see him this season. Well, that goes to show you how how closely I've been keeping up on these things, but. I guess that leads me to the the next returning leader, which would be Aaron Fuller, um, 291 yards and one touchdown off of 26 catches last year. He definitely showed some good signs mm-hmm. of uh, production. Um, it's just he's never had to be the guy, so it's really hard to to see to say how he's going to perform. Um, luckily, there's a just a load of talent in that receiving room, mm-hmm. uh, along with Fuller. You have, let's see here. Well, you have you have the return of Chica McClatcher. So, um, I, like I said with Fuller and with him being the guy, it's interesting to see how McClatcher is going to come back from that injury that knocked him out for the vast majority of last season. Um, you also have Bacelli. You have Pounds, uh, Ty Jones, who gives you some height off the edge. Mm-hmm. And then you have guys who've redshirted, uh, like Terrell Bynum or Alex Cook. Um, and then some new guys, uh, Marquis Spiker, Austin Osborne, and Trey Lowe, mm-hmm. which um, I think all three of those guys are pretty exciting prospects, highly regarded coming out of high school. Um, Lowe actually turned down his father's alma mater, Oregon, to come to UW. So and his brothers, to... right? Ke- Keenan played at, at, uh, oh, yeah. at UW. Yeah, I think he Yeah. So um, just loads of talent, but unproven for the most part. So... Um, you know, Jake's gonna have to get get used to these receivers quickly. Um, but I, I, I gotta believe they can put it together. They're just too good to to struggle. I feel like. Yeah, I think I think Chico McClatcher, uh early last season, you saw kind of how they want to use him, and I think that in an ideal world, you have both him and Savon Ahmed uh, just kind of as as decoys, no matter what, given given the kind of this, the interchangeability of what they can do in terms of the jet sweeps and screens and that sort of thing. Um, just spreading the defense. Exactly, exactly. So, so you have you have those guys um, that, that are kind of the the side to side guys. McClatcher will will you know we we haven't really seen him be. Uh, anything less or anything more than the the number three option, and and you know even last year when he was that, it was not for very long before he got hurt. Um, so Chico McClatcher is, I think, the guy that you're going to really depend on for the big time playmaking from that bunch. Um, you're still going to have to bring along the the Bacellis, the uh, the Fullers. I think Fuller had had you know a, a a big game in the in the Penn State game as we were coming back from that. Um, certainly like to see that. Um, so it's there. I mean, there's just there's so many bullets in the chamber. Even you know uh, Drew Sample, certainly capable. Started a lot of games. I think that he'll he'll be featured a little bit more prominently this year. Um, Will Disley kind of stole his thunder as a, as the pass catching uh, tight end last season. Uh, in addition to Hunter Bryant, so we'll see how that goes. And even Devin Culp um, is kind of the same mentality of how they use Hunter Bryant of just a. a, a freshman tight end kind of in between tight end and receiver in terms of size and skill um from gonzaga prep it'll be interesting to see how he comes along but yeah coach pete definitely has a type i mean you look at ty jones um 
at 6'4", Austin Osborne 6'2", Marquis Spiker at 6'3". Uh, you can tell that the way that they're recruiting and bringing in these types of players is that they want they want a guy like that uh, with the, with that build and that frame to be featured prominently in the offense. And these guys still have some wheels on them, too. It's not like we're just getting these slow, tall, tall dudes out there. Uh, they can still move, so... Um, yeah, I'm really excited to see, especially those those new guys in Spiker, Osborne, and and Low, mm-hmm. um, see what they can do when they when the season gets up and going. Yeah, and and also getting getting uh, Savon Ahmed and and Miles Gaskin involved in the passing game a little bit more. I mean, Gaskin only caught the ball I think in in uh, like six of the 13 games last year, but was was productive in doing that um, at 12 yards a catch. Uh, Ahmed is certainly a guy that in the open field is just absolutely lethal. So um, I think you kind of create a passing game in the unconventional, unconventional sense um, and, and utilize all the strengths and talent that you have you have there, um, even though it might just not look like the typical you know, post-route type offense that, that you saw with, with John Ross and Dante Pettis over the last couple of years. Yeah, I, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how they fit in McClatcher because McClatcher and Ahmed are basically the same player in some respects, mm-hmm. at least from a receiving standpoint. Um, I do you see do you see situations where having McClatcher, Ahmed, and Gaskin on the field all at the same time? That would be pretty wild. I think that would be what they'd want to do. I mean, you have McClatcher was was at a point last year. I mean, he had ten catches through the first three games that he played. Got hurt in the middle of that Colorado game, his fourth game. And it certainly seemed like he was he was the the, the valve off of off of Dante Pettis, um, not a guy that's gonna you know score double digit touch, touchdowns, but help you move the chains and work the middle of the field. Um, yep. So I think that had they been ready for his departure and him getting hurt, that they might have brought Ahmed a little bit more along as a receiver to do that, but they moved him to running back for a specific reason. Um, so I think that now that everything's kind of settled and you have all three of those guys, absolutely. I mean, you put everything on the field. Um, they, you saw a lot with Ahmed last year of him just sweeping left to right. I mean, that's a that's a mainstay in a lot of offenses of just just to see what the how the defense responds to him because he's not a guy that you can leave open in the in the in the open field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely interested to see how they they use all that talent. Um, you know, it's a lot of a lot of mouths to feed, and it's not really a high volume offense where. Um, it's not like you know Baylor here, where you're gonna see five different guys get catch four balls in a game. Um, it's not gonna be that that egalitarian or, or you know spreading the wealth. So so you know we'll see how that looks. Um, we talked a little bit about Miles Gaskin. I think for heading into fourth down, um, this is an absolutely special player. Um, someone who has eclipsed. Basically every rushing record that you can you can get at UW, um, he will he will distance himself even further this year, barring injury. Um, three straight three thousand or thirteen hundred yard seasons, and I feel like he was even leaving some yards on the table last year. And I feel like that there's more production to come from from Miles Gaskin. Not that he's underwhelmed, just that you know he he only you know carried the ball less than 20 times a game last year, uh, which is which is pretty crazy given given his talents and given his, his productivity. Um, so my thought, and I think that this is something that hasn't really been an option for UW since since they really tried to force it with Jake Locker in 2010, of we could be looking at a Miles Gaskin-Heisman campaign. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why he can't be that caliber of a player uh, in college football. I mean, 
he had the le- least amount of carries of his career uh, last season. Yep. And he produced the most yards and the most touchdowns by a, by a wide margin in the touchdown department. Um, I like like we said before, he, he honestly, it's, I'm amazed that he's still here because we <laughs> know how running running backs go nowadays. If you're good, you go after junior year. I mean, mm-hmm. there's really nothing about it. It's just that's how you, what you do. So this is a pretty rare occurrence in some respects that he's still around and he's still going to be, you know, our, our starting running back. Um, I I guess I guess you have to talk about Bryce Love when you're talking about running backs vying for the Heisman in the Pac-12. But honestly, I'd, I'd almost, I like Gaskin better, and that's just me being biased probably, but um, I just don't think Bryce Love can replicate the crazy games that he had last year mm-hmm. i don't know i just i just don't see it i have nothing nothing to back that up i just is a gut feel but for gaskin yeah I, this should could be a special season for sure and yeah. he's gonna isn't he gonna beat the all-time re- rushing record like pretty quickly or did he already do that he either yeah i know he has touchdowns um already beats and so i think i think rushing has a little bit more to go that he will certainly eclipse um, right off the bat, and I think as what, what got me thinking about this and got me thinking about Miles Gaskin in general is uh, Lance Zierlein is a is an NFL you know dot com draft reporter, and um, you know I think that those guys are pretty hit and miss in terms of how much they actually know about about college football or how much they really know about just getting people to click on stuff. Uh, but I just came across an article. It was like top twelve running backs to watch. In, in, in 2018 and, and expecting to see Gaskin on that list probably lower than I would imagine. He wasn't on the list. Miles Gaskin, a guy who, nice. who, who is looking at having a 5,000-yard career um, easily and, and could could play for one of the top, you know, for a playoff team in the in, in college football this year, wasn't on this this guy's list. And, and um, I just think that was, that was a little... I was offended, and and I'm sure Miles Gaskin cares absolutely zero. Uh, but it just goes to show kind of the uphill climb that that UW is up uh, up against in terms of national recognition, um, as a good good example there. But I love I love that. To oh be oh totally. I mean, if it, you can flip it flip it internally very easily as as a motivating yeah. factor. Um, but as we know about the Heisman, and this is something that's you know it's a first world problem if you're worrying about a player's Heisman campaign. Heisman is about moments and having having moments that, that stick in people's mind. You know, you think about Baker May, Mayfield, whether he's sticking a flag at at, Oklahoma, at uh, Ohio State or grabbing his junk against Kansas. I mean, these aren't things that you're going to see Miles Gaskin do. Um, however, that that Auburn game is certainly a chance for him to enter the national conversation um, in a game that everyone will certainly be watching. Is pretty much the most most important game of that weekend. Uh, him him putting up big numbers in a UW win would certainly uh, wedge his foot firmly in the door of going to New York in in, uh, in December. And especially if he outshines Jared Stidham, the quarterback yes. for Auburn, because he's one of the top Heisman uh, hopefuls this season as well. Certainly, so certainly that could that could go a long ways uh, just with that alone mm-hmm. in the in the uh, Heisman race. But it, it it's tough because I feel like those Heisman moments that you're speaking about kind of come later in the season. And when, when you know, it's, when it's one thirty AM for a Husky game. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, and you know, there's not as many big games on our schedule later in the season. We play Stanford, I think it's pretty early mm-hmm. uh, in the season. I don't know. 
Um, yeah. These are all, you know, this is all irrelevant. Yeah, sta- sta- Stanford is, is November 3rd, the, the third to last game of the season. So hopefully oh, okay. that, that'll, that'll be a big moment and certainly his chance to go head-to-head with, with Bryce Love. Um, you know, Herbert from, from Oregon, the quarterback, is, is, is another guy that at least statistically could get there and enter the conversation. Um, I don't think that the wins will be there for him necessarily, but he will have moments to go head-to-head um, or be on the same game as a, a game that a lot of people are watching, especially that Auburn game. So we'll see. I think that, that we'll know a lot about this team and about Gaskin's um, kind of potential accolades after that first first game. So perfect segue because we're going to go into our next segment, uh, our one burning question segment, which this time will be about the season, or I guess it's about one game, uh, but it's kind of, of just this thing to ponder um, with uh, with the Husky football season. And our one burning question this week is, is, is the outcome of the Auburn game on September 1st more important than the outcome of the Alabama game was uh, back in January, I guess that was late December of 2016? Okay, first I want to cover ourselves. Miles Gasson does lead the all-time rushing record, so... Thank you, thank you. Just, just, for, to, just to correct ourselves. Thanks for getting our uh, inter- intern to check the stats there. Yeah, yeah, six yards over Chris Polk. Okay, there we go. back to the question. Uh, which game is bigger, that Bama game or this Auburn game? Um, I thought about this quite a bit, but at the end of the day, like, it's it's a national semifinal. That game is definitely bigger, um, but that doesn't that doesn't go to say that this game isn't massive. Like an Auburn game, an Auburn victory, hopefully, is something that we haven't had the last two seasons that would have gone so far for us because. There's a lot of credibility issues uh, when it comes to the Huskies at being out here in Seattle. Um, you know, like half of the media, national media doesn't catch our games, I feel like. <laughs> so I feel like beating a team like Auburn that's considered to be one of the best teams in the country and and secondly in the SEC, I feel like that might send or it would send shockwaves across the national landscape, from the national college football landscape. Um, so... I uh, don't want to downplay the the Auburn game because I think the Bama game was was bigger technically, but from a 2018 standpoint, this Auburn game is definitely the biggest game of the year. And honestly, I think it might be the biggest non-conference game of the year when you look at it. Among any team, I think you're absolutely about yeah. Among any time team, yeah. and I saw just randomly Maria Taylor. She's uh, she's on uh, College Game Day mm-hmm. right now. Um, I saw her top five uh, games, like non-conference games, and number one was UW versus Auburn. So um, at least other people were thinking it too. For sure, and I think that the, the word you said that there there that was the operative one was credibility. And I think that that this um, you know that this game, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, is is kind of the next game that anyone who is a part of the national conversation for, for college football might have seen since that Alabama game, where this is the first time that you're really checking in on that, on UW football um, as a national content, contender or pretender. And so if you see them and the, the taste in your mouth is still uh, that performance against Alabama and then, you know, the kind of where were they last year? And then you see another dud or, or a loss against, against Auburn in this game that's going to dictate your conversation. And even if the Huskies run the table from that point, um, the powers that be might have trouble forgetting those two big moments against the SEC teams and, and questioning the worth of the Huskies to, to, to go and play in those games, uh, in the playoff games, I'm saying. I think, I think it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, 
it's the, there's so many adages in college football. It's better to lose early than to lose late. Um, losing this Auburn game, there's there's a way out of this. And Auburn might very well just be a great team. And if you lose to them, you're still capable of running the show in the Pac-12 and, and, and seeing what you get out of that. Um, 2016, that was a chance that you know you had a, you had a, a, a ticket to to be in the national championship game. You're a game away from that, and that is certainly not the Correct. case case with Auburn. Um, so at the end of the day, it can boil down to something as easy as that. However, I think from a program standpoint, um, that this 2016 was we were so ahead of schedule, and given that you yeah. had Jake Browning as a sophomore, Chris Peterson was just in his uh, you know his third year as a coach. That 2016 was such a success. No matter how you split it, I mean that was a Pac-12 championship coming out of, of you know barely being ranked to start the season. Now all of a sudden you beat Stanford and you're you're you know in the conversation already for a playoff spot. It just came on so quick that I think that that just getting and playing in that game was such an experience and such like a stepping stone for the program. This is bigger than that because this builds off of that. Eight, 2018 season, I think from the you know everything we just said from credibility and all that might just hinge on this game. So I kind of think that. Uh, the win or loss part of this game is just more important, although the, the Alabama game certainly had more at stake tangibly for, for the next game for UW. Yeah, it, I, that's a great point. It's if In that, that type of thinking right there, Auburn game is more pivotal because, um, I don't know, there's just, like you said, we, we weren't really, everybody was just kind of happy that we were there in the, in the semifinal game. I know I was like, when we lost, I wasn't really that upset. Like, I was like, no. wow, what a season. That was outstanding. I just saw, you know, Alabama play the Huskies like mm-hmm. on a national stage. <laughs> yeah. Whereas here, if we lose to Auburn, I'm going to be like pretty upset. Like, not. I mean, it depends on how the game goes, obviously. But, um, but I, I yeah, you, there is a point to that. That's why I thought about this for so long because there is, in, in in some ways of thinking, it it is bigger than the Bama game. So, um, yeah, I just, I guess it just comes down to. The fact that this game is big, like you should, you should recognize that. Yeah, it is. It is, and I think that that um, we will find out a lot about this team. Whereas, I mean, everything that we knew about, you know, every every fact that we came out of 2016 uh, in that Alabama game, you know, could carry on to kind of the next season. Whereas this this has direct implications of you know the, how you lose against Auburn or how you how you play against Auburn, I should say, um, kind of gives you a taste of what this 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 season's going to be like and all the all the talent that you have and how it's going to look so um yeah i mean these games are not not complete season breakers but um it might be a program you know uh boost or 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 or, you know huge detriment nationally at least so um super intriguing i'm glad that the huskies are at this part where you know when this game was scheduled i don't think that it was it was certainly of this magnitude but um here we are and, and that's a credit to what's been built here uh another another point in terms of credibility and given you know we know exactly (laughs) how the rest of the world or how the rest of the country feels about the Pac-12 I mean they made that perfectly clear on air several times Um, Larry Scott even probably feels it himself that the Pac-12 is an inferior conference and just needs to needs to be in the green and that's all that matters so our next segment is called uh, back the pack which the Pac-12 is just such a screwy you know, dare I say shit show. I, th- I don't know if you saw, but they were replaying the, the Utah, like, Alabama game from 2003 um, on the Pac-12 network and k- claiming that as their own, given that Utah played in the Mountain West at that point. Um, oh, yeah. 
they, it's it just they do some things that are just absolutely screwy to me. Um, the, their conference basketball scheduling of playing the two teams in a row like that is it's just it's not it's not uh, it's not ideal. Um, so the Pac-12. Well, was, we spoke at we spoke at length about the scheduling situation last oh, year. Oh, it's so. it's it's horrible. Yeah, I mean the Pac-12 is is kind of kind of everyone's inside joke. I mean, I think just how they how they run things. Um, that being said, the actual teams need to perform on a national perspective uh, to gain the credibility um, of, of the country. And so, so these teams uh, th- that aren't the Huskies have to perform well, especially, you know, basketball especially, but football is, is also important just so that every win that UW gets in the conference uh, feels important. So this next segment is back-to-pack, kind of a long-winded explanation for why we do that. Um, in, this, in this hashtag, back-to-pack, my question to you is, is more of a first Pac-12, you know, after after Auburn, um, who is UW's second toughest opponent this season? Uh, this one's pretty easy for me, and it's Stanford on November third because I think that game is going to decide the North. Um, Stanford is on paper, I think, by far the the best team in the North outside of the Huskies. Uh, Oregon may have. Uh, something to say about that, but they still haven't really proven that they've rebounded from their uh, their woes the last couple seasons. Um, but so yeah, I would have to say Stanford with Oregon as number three. There's a chance. I mean, Auburn lost a lot of talent getting in, or from from especially the defensive side of the ball um, heading into this season. It, there's a chance that it might be Stanford. I mean, if you look at if you, I mean, Stanford might be the the most talented team yep. that that you has to play this season. Um, KJ Costello was was exactly what you'd want out of a freshman quarterback. Didn't make any mistakes. Gave them a chance to win. Um, and so now, in, him in his second year, we'll see kind of the development he makes. Obviously, Bryce Love. You get a two thousand yard rusher back in college football. A guy that was absolutely dominant at times. Um, he certainly makes it interesting. The defense is always going to be solid under David Shaw. So. Who knows with Stanford? Uh, other than you know, they're they're just a team that you know is going to get nine wins and be be tough to beat any week. After that, I think Utah is going to be really interesting this year. Utah very okay. very easily. I mean, you were at that game. For all intents and purposes, should have beaten UW in Seattle last season. Um, that was that was a game that was completely theirs, if not for some some faulty time management. Utah ends up losing to UW, Stanford, and USC by a total of seven points last season. Tyler Huntley looked all the parts of, of a guy that can play in the conference as a quarterback. Um, and, you know, Kyle Whittingham is, <laughs> albeit not a, a fan of, of, you know, handling time well, uh, he is certainly a good football coach. So I'm interested in, in that Utah game because, I mean, that's UW plays them two weeks after Auburn, and that could very easily be just as much of a challenge. Yeah, you get them early. Um, the nice thing about our situation, even though it is at Utah, is the fact that Utah will be coming off of games against Weber State and Northern Illinois, where we've, where we on the other hand have, will have gone through the the Auburn game in Atlanta on a national stage. So you gotta hope that we're kind of more up to speed at that point in the season than they are. Um, but yeah, that's a tough game, Rice Eccles. It's a really, really tough place to play. Um, so that's a good point. I actually wasn't even thinking about Utah. So 
yeah, give that to you. It was uh, it, it was it was a scary game last year, and certainly that was uh, that was our boy, future All Pro kicker Tristan Vizcaino's redemption story mm. in that Utah game. Um, probably Jake Browning's best game or most important fourth quarter comeback. Saw a lot of from him in that game, but um, like I said, that's a game that Utah should have won, and you know, carrying that into this season, now you have. Now you have the Huskies on the road. That might be a, a quick trap game for UW, especially if they're coming off of the high of an Auburn game. So we'll see there. Uh, what are some other important Pac-12 non-conference games, um, either in week one or just in general, that, that, that matter a lot for, for dictating the landscape of, of the Pac-12's importance in the country? Sure. Um, the only other week one game that's, I mean, it, there's Oregon State versus Ohio State. Which I am pumped for. Slide, that is going to be... But, but why not? You know, go yeah. beat. So I uh, thought I thought I'd plug that for a second. But actually, um, seriously, probably the biggest games on the calendar are going to be uh, Stanford at Notre Dame in Week Five, mm-hmm. uh, Notre Dame at USC Week Thirteen, um, USC at Texas in Week Three. Yep. Now, Texas isn't necessarily you know where they usually are as 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 Texas, but. Uh, they do carry some weight. They do have that prestige. Um, it is in Austin, and it's USC. So that's a just a primetime matchup right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of a sneaky one um, in week two is Michigan State traveling to Tempe to play the Sun Devils. Yep, I had that one as well. Yeah. So there's some games that definitely you should keep an eye on from a Pac-12 standpoint. Yeah, both the Notre Dame games are incredibly important. Um, Arizona has a couple games against BYU and Houston um, that, that will certainly be interesting. Um, kind of as two equal teams, can can Arizona um, kind of carry their weight in the south? Colorado goes to Nebraska um, right off the bat in week one. UNC, or Cal, Cal hosts North Carolina. Uh, my man, Larry Fedora, idiot. Um, I don't know if you've heard his comments lately about CTE, but that's uh, that's a conversation for a different day. UCLA goes to Oklahoma. I mean, there there's some games here where um, can really flip the the perspective of, of the conference um, if if they all go the right way. Uh, but I think I think yeah, those those Notre Dame games are going to really carry a lot of weight for both Stanford yep. and USC. All right, uh, moving on to kind of the, the global scene outside of our, uh, our favorite little conference out west is, is kind of the national party. And so we'll just focus this time on, uh, on the week one games that matter outside of the, the one that we've clearly established is, is an important one and happens to be the one that, that UW is playing in. Um, what are some other important week one games nationally? Uh, first, I want to say that this could end up being my favorite segment just because I feel like we can do so much with it. The CF party. party yeah. Scene. yeah, yeah, this is going to be great. But uh, to answer your question, uh, I think other games to watch in week one has to start out with Michigan at Notre Dame. Um, both those teams are probably going to be ranked in, in the middle of the top 25, um, you know, potential contenders at the end of the season. So one of them will walk away with a loss to start the season. Mm-hmm. Um, another big game, Miami versus LSU. We know LSU hasn't been uh, quite what they are used to being um, in recent years, but you know I'm sure Ed Ogeron has has the gumbo on simmer and he's got something cooking up. And uh, Miami was that surprise team last year, so they play Sunday of the opening weekend at Jerry World in uh, Dallas. Um, Would it another? I- I, yeah. I kind of I love Ed Orgeron and I love the Les Miles, but their their last two coaches have been basically 
the biggest inside joke in all of college football, like the the ultimate hashtag football guy of all football guys in Orgeron. And then also Les Miles, who was called the Mad Hatter and ate grass. Um, yeah. So I just want them to hire like an incredible, like what if they had hired Jonathan Smith this season? Like that, and it just, <laughs> just roll out a completely normal, rational human being as their coach. I don't think he would have lasted. No. Oh, no. I've, you know, I've been down to that UW, that UW LSU game. You have. That's a different, that's a different breed of college football fan down there. Yeah. Uh, you have to be, you have to be, you know, you got to know the area. Someone like John Smith would not know that at all. <laughs> that's just crazy to think about that hypothetically. Yeah, it, it honestly is. And that's that's the difference, I think, uh, maybe a little bit in some other some other gigs. But I think every other job in professional sports just matters, like, on kind of the, the team uh, that you're walking into, like, the personnel of that team, rather than, like, sure. literally the culture of the, the people that live there, um, yeah. like, like it would in college football. So, yeah. Um, hopefully Jonathan Smith does well enough at Oregon State to, to merit getting a job like LSU one day, although he should never take a job like that. Well, he gets Ohio State to start off his uh, tenure. At yes, Ohio build State. the resume so, early. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, game number three in uh, week one that's worth watching, and this one's kind of a fun one. Uh, we have Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin traveling to Norman to face the Oklahoma Sooners. Wow, and, what a poll. I had no idea this was yeah, happening. Yeah, and Florida Atlantic may actually open the season in the top 25. So uh, we could have a top 25 matchup between Florida Atlantic and Oklahoma. So that's one to keep an eye on just for fun. Um, I put I put Alabama's game in here against Louisville. That one's being played in Orlando. Um, honestly, it's going to be a route, mm-hmm. I'm sure, but uh, it's worth noting just because, you know, it's Alabama. So they, they've earned it. And then a sneaky one is West Virginia versus Tennessee in Charlotte. Nice. Um, yeah, West Virginia should be middle of the top 25. Tennessee, I think, will be outside of that. But uh, there's some big-name teams right there. So, so you know, it, it'll hopefully be a good showing. But those are the those are the five, I guess, yeah, five that I have for week one. Yeah, the only other one I had was just from, from the profile standpoint, uh, Virginia Tech at Florida State to start off. Um, that'll be a game that obviously you know has some some pedigree in it. Although Florida State is really the the bell of the ball in that game, a team that, that could make some noise in the ACC this year. Uh, largely, other than that, you see a lot of Furman, a lot of you know the Liberty, Fordham, those type of games in Week One. So um, it's always an exclusive bunch of, of games that matter in that first first week, and UW happens to belong to that. So that's the party this I week. Have one more. Go for I have it. One more, and it's it's uh, one that I didn't have my on my notes, but I just thought of it. Uh, and this one is truly the sneaky pick of them all. Uh, Boise State traveling to Troy. And oh, I God. say this because it has pretty big group of five implications, which if, you, if our listeners don't know, group of five is the one team that gets that final bid into the, uh, into what is it, the New Year's Six Bowl? Mm-hmm. So, Bulls. Um, so, yeah. Hashtag just bowls. So, everybody... <laughs> Just so everybody knows, Troy is in Troy, Alabama, so that's a pretty big trip for Boise State. So, uh, yeah, that's a sneaky one to keep an eye on as well. Interesting, interesting. I like it. Troy Troy was able to, to go into Death Valley, if I'm not mistaken, last year yep. and beat LSU, so not a team that, that is to be trifled with. Um, so, yeah, some, some quick... Some quick, uh, maybe an elimination game for, for Boise in terms of their their hopes for, for sneaking into anything this year. Um, that, that's the party. I think, um, you know, we'll have to kind of 
maybe create a viewing guide for how, how things are going to go on Saturday. Obviously, you got the big game uh, with the Huskies. That's that's a that's a twelve thirty Pacific. Am I right, or is that a one thirty? Which one? Which the, game? The Auburn game to start off with. Oh man, um, I have it right here. It is a twelve thirty Pacific kickoff time on ABC. Enjoy it, so folks. You'll first. you'll get your first and only twelve thirty uh, Pacific time start to uh, to the season right off the bat. Um, <laughs> right up, right on Labor Day. So smack dab in the middle of the day, or Labor Day weekend. Smack dab in the middle of the day. Um, that should be a fun one. Certainly, if the Huskies win, I'll be wanting to watch all kinds of games the rest of the day. Uh, if not, I will be wanting to. I'll be in Florida at that point. I'll be wanting to uh, to uh, just go go far away, far far away into the. the it's the answer is drink. Let's yeah, be honest. that's that's what we mean. Or it's, it's euphemisms at this point. Yeah. Uh, euphemisms brought to you by Overstock at the O. Um, all right. Moving on, we got a couple other segments that we will carry on through the rest of the year. These ones will be a little bit more quick hitting. Uh, the first one is the OKG of the week. OKG standing for, of course, our kind of guy. Our kind of guy. It is the uh, the the phrase that that Coach Pete has carried with him. Um, it's so lame, so so lame, but I love it. Uh, it. It's kind of become the mantra to to define what Coach Peterson is. He's just all about high character and, and uh, doing it the right way uh, as much as you can in the most corrupt industry in, in, in all of all <laughs> of maybe the country in the NCAA. Um, so we will carry this week to week as the OKG of the week. This will be somewhat of a, of a turnover chain type, type uh, totem that we passed from player to player of a player who exemplified what it takes to be an OKG. Um, but we don't have one for the week, so... Who is the OKG of this? Who who is the preseason OKG? The guy that that would probably carry this title uh, um, all the way through uh, if if we if we did it that way. I'll be honest, I I wasn't looking at it exactly like that. All right. So I have a different answer. Um, in my my aunt, well, I was thinking this this guy needs it most. He needs to start off on top most to help the team out. So. I'm going to give it to our kicker, and who <laughs> that will be, I do not know. So I listed, like like depth charts do, I listed Van Soderberg or Sebastian Valerio or Peyton Henry on here. Yeah. Um, just, just thought they could use, you know, a one-up before the season started. So uh, so my, my award for the best, or the OKG of the week is kicker. Yes. <laughs> Name that kicker. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's the the kicking experience was was an absolute ride last year. Provided us plenty to talk about, uh, but it is the reason uh, that we might have lost uh, definitely the Arizona State game and and maybe even probably the the Stanford game because of the kicking situation, how bad it got last season. And you lose the guy that had all the talent. Uh, and that's Tristan Vizcaino. So. Um, that'll be something to keep an eye out. I like the the positivity. Certainly, uh, it'll be met with some some negativity um, in just a little bit by yours truly. But my OKG of the season, or to to start it off, I think that there's a lot of guys. Drew Sample is a guy that's around. Might end up in the NFL after having like maybe 20 career catches, just because he just does all the other stuff well. Uh, Miles Gaskin, certainly for all the reasons we mentioned. Christian Capel for coming back, right, from the Tacoma oh, News Tribune to, to now he covers the Huskies again uh, for the yeah. Athletic. Uh, Capel is, is wonderful at his job. Um, we lost Ryan S. Clark, my man, uh, for coverage, so it would be nice to have Capel back uh, in the arsenal. Pete Kwiatkowski for, for, for handing over the job 
to to Jimmy Lake. I mean, that's that's definitely our kind of our kind of uh, you know yeah. car- career movement there for sure. To, to you like, don't see that very often. No, you don't. It's pretty weird actually, but uh, we will we will allow it. Um, I think the guy though is uh, is the heartbreak kid. Ben Burkirvan. Um, I think that that he, you know, coming in last year uh, was squarely behind Azeem Victor, who was a guy that you, you know, you penciled in as a as a top twenty NFL draft choice because of his talent. Um, some injuries and some off the field stuff preclude Victor from playing to start the season. Ben Burkirvan just comes in with his flowing locks and snatches that job away uh, as he snatches, uh, you know, running backs coming across the middle. Um, just performed well. Was one of the the Huskies' best defensive players. Super reliable. Um, not even in like a he's just there in the middle of the field. Like he's a he's a, became a very plus uh, Pac-12 player. Might have a shot at all Pac-12 linebacker this season. So I'm gonna hand it to Ben Burkirvan, who has cut his hair, so you can now see the name on the back of his jersey. Incredible. So he has two names. That's his last name, Burkirvan. Burkirvan. Yeah, BBK. Okay. 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 Noted. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's a great choice. Completely agree. I believe he led the team in tackles last year. Yep. Um, I gotta believe, like you said, he'll make some team, uh, you know, first team, second team, all pack 12, just with that production. If he's able to mm-hmm. mimic what he did last year. Um, I think the thing about Ben Burkirvan that sticks with me most is that guy exudes effort more so than pretty much anybody else on the field. Yep. Um, and, you know, you, you just got to love to see that. So Yeah, Burkirvan's uh, been fun to watch just because, I mean, we, we would notice him in mop-up duty, cleaning you know cleaning house on special teams, making, making tackles um, early in his career, and how he's parlayed that into uh, a full-time job has been has been good to see. So, uh, ben Burkirvan is my OKG of the week. You're carrying it into to Kicker X. Uh, our next segment is a fun one that we will keep going as well throughout the season. Is our uh, Great Cat of the Week. And um, this this one needs some explanation. I think we've tried to explain it on the podcast. But uh, for the, the two and a half people that were listening then, we'll, we'll repeat that. Um, great Cat refers to Tyrone Willingham. He was... I actually got some context for this because I asked um, the host of the show that was doing this back in the day. Tyron Willingham, his first radio interview as head coach of the Washington Huskies, he's, he does it from a hotel room. And so from his hotel room, he has to go to the bathroom to to answer this, these questions that the radio host in Seattle is asking him the questions for. The radio That wasn't a sign right there. <laughs> I know. And the reason he went to the bathroom is because his wife is sleeping over in the next room. So certainly a respectful guy. That was never the problem with Willingham. Um, but I guess the, the radio host, Mitch Levy, had had studied that, that Tyron Willingham did not like the family cat. And that, that was a story that was, that was around from his time as the Notre Dame coach. Uh, he did not like the family cat. And so Mitch asked him about the cat. And uh, Tyron Willingham, straight-faced, uh, said, we have a great cat. While basically whispering in, in the bathroom of a hotel um, <laughs> in his first interview as, as head coach of the Washington Huskies in Stanton and I are probably two of 100 people on the earth uh, who heard that live, laughed. Um, this is before Willingham, you know, handed us three seasons of absolute doom, four seasons of doom, um, and it just became symbolic of of him as a as a human and as a coach. So we have a great cat has has stuck with us, and so great cat um, is is someone who is anything but great and is kind of the player that we're position group or it's just something symbolic. Um, it might be safe for, for the ESPN announcing crew. 
anyone who's kind of in our way, we will give them the great cat designation. Um, so who is who is the great cat of of the week or or your preseason great cat uh, before this season? Actually, that is a great call uh, on the ESPN crew. It really <laughs> should be Quint Kessenek. Yes, public uh, enemy number one, Quint Quincy. Yeah. yeah. I, speaking of which, I haven't tweeted at him and Mark Jones in a while, so I should probably get back on that. Yeah. Uh, just to let him know that we're still up here chirping. But uh, send him a link to the pod. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, but actually, what I have down for Great Cat Week is, again, kicker Van Soderborg or Sebastian Valerio or, or Peyton Henry. Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I, I, I should probably apologize. There's probably should have brought some better ideas to the table here for OKG and Great Cat Week, but it just seemed too obvious. I mean, let's be honest, the kickers were were disastrous last year. I didn't even know Van Soderberg. I didn't even know Van was his first name for a while. I thought yeah. his last name was Soderberg. That's how that's how far into the depth chart. <sighs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, for me, that's that's it. But uh, let's go with Quint just to give the kickers, uh, you know, some some slack here. All right. Well, I I had the kicker down. I had named that kicker down <laughs> as, as my great cat. So so I will t- I gladly take that. Um, uh, on some real levels, I mean, Van Soderberg was was abysmal in the Stanford in the Arizona State game, the Stanford game. Um, the dude received death threats for how bad it got, and I think that that you and I are both on on a very measured level with with our enthusiasm for the Huskies that it would never ever ever get to that. And I yeah. renounce anyone who is who is that low of a human to to do something like that over um, over a you know nineteen year old's inability to kick a football. Like that is that is just absolutely repulsive so those people are my great cats is the people that would that that a tweeted athletes basically for anything other than praise um or or you know criticism of real things that they do as humans maybe um so those those people suck the kicking game in general as as from a football perspective is the area that i would be most concerned with and i know that that's something that that coach peterson uh really values as a strong special teams unit so um that is something that you know from a football perspective we have to worry about but as you know none of this matters really uh let's especially not that you know mess with the the mental health of uh of a college student for their inability to kick amen yes amen i think i think you just explained like a good portion of the organ organ duck fan base <laughs> so yeah um, just thought i'd make that that a comparison there. yeah a, a fan base that you you have intimately um you uh, know you you've been in the in the weeds so to speak uh yeah in, in i've seen stadium. things yes yeah. you can unsee <laughs> things uh, from from what you've seen um i i have not made my pilgrimage to, to Austin. i don't know if it'll happen anytime soon never um yeah nope never wow. never never have i would much right. prefer to go to corvallis and the, the much friendly yeah. conference um agreed agreed um we, last thing here we're kind of bouncing some ideas off I want to do some some outreach this year of getting to to former former players or people who are part of the program um, as kind of to mix it up of you know you and I can talk for forty minutes and then we'll bring on um, one of, of the people from this list. I had some ideas of just former players to track down and I shot one to you and I wish that we would have had it live of my reaction when you said Reggie Williams. I think this entire season of us doing this podcast is dedicated to getting Reggie Williams on the podcast. Yeah. That, that is probably the most badass husky I've ever seen uh, in my lifetime. So, 
definitely agree with that. Re- Reggie kicked so much ass um, back in the day. He was he was just he was de- he was he was the one player that could have played any program in the nation, maybe other than Locker, uh, from a talent yeah. perspective that I can remember. Um, so, and certainly the highest draft pick other than the locker, it was, it was Reggie Williams. So we, Reggie, I will be, uh, patrolling the social medias and hopefully Reggie is in, is in good health and in good standing with, uh, you know, his ability to, to, um, to, to reach out to some old fans. So I will be, will be gunning for Reggie Williams on the pod. Uh, stay tuned for updates on that. Who else, who else would you like to see on an episode of the, of the boy Meets world pod? I, I thought Lewis Rankin, just because he was one of the only bright spots during the Wellingham era, it would be interesting to get his take on that. Um, I don't know, maybe, uh, I'm just thinking of players that I really liked back in the day when I was a kid, just because, it, you know, selfishly, it'd be awesome to hear from them. Uh, Charles Frederick, Ooh, Paul Arnold, yes. those would be some interesting ones. Uh, both, I think both were from Florida, too, so I wonder what it was like moving from there to Seattle and, you know, what New Heisel was all about, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, yeah, those are a couple names that come to the top of my head right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think you and I both read the uh, the Greg Bishop piece on Jake Locker earlier this year, certainly a guy who has mm-hmm. re- retreated into normalcy in his, his yeah. post, uh, post-NFL post days. It would be lovely to get him on. I, I have some thoughts on how, how we could make that happen. Um, so so Locker's on the wish list. Other former UW quarterback, Isaiah Stanback, is on the wish list. Um, you said Cody Bruns earlier, though. That would be a good one. Mm, that would be great. If nothing else, to ask him what it felt like to have his red shirt burned in front of his eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Marcel Reese, Donald Butler are yep. guys that are on, on the list uh, as well. Uh, Devin Aguilar, who now runs like a like a fitness, he's like a fitness tycoon. So there's there's some guys. We'll we'll uh, you know we'll 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 shoot shoot some shots now that we have this fantastic podcast to link to people to show uh, what we got cooking. I'm excited to uh, to use that as a bargaining chip to get these folks on. Yeah, I'm excited. I like I like this new format, and I think it gives us a good stepping stone to uh, to get to. You know, weekly, hopefully, or you know, every couple weeks, just carrying that on through the season. So yeah, awesome. yeah. As far as preseason goes, we will have to to kind of space this out. You know, there's just just not enough to talk about um, at this point of the year. But once we get kind of closer and closer to to that uh, to that date, um, the September first date, and kind of once there's some developments in uh, in the the fall camps, um, you know, kind of news news cycle that comes out. We'll have a little bit more to talk about, but this was fantastic to get the season going, uh, get our wheels under us, and and um, you know really really launch into the season. So appreciate you doing this. It is now time for both of us to turn our fans back on because I'm uh, I'm in some trouble in the yeah. the, heat, the heat department right now. Yeah, I yeah it's it's like a sauna in here. Yeah, it's it's a dire situation. So I will let you uh, resolve that. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Stan. We will we will do this again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Take it easy. That was my guy, Michael Stanton, on the pod previewing this Husky football season. We covered a lot, but look for some more specific coverage in shorter episodes as the season goes along. Hopefully some interviews as well, especially with our boy Reggie Williams. If you know where Reggie Williams is and have some contact information, please let us know. Right, Drop a line. We're trying to get a hold of Reg. 
very hard guy to find on, on social media. Uh, anyways, appreciate the listen. If you're here at this point, make sure to subscribe and leave an absurdly complimentary five-star review on the show page on Apple Podcasts so you're ready to get set week to week with Husky football. Peace.